And small press is, I think, an opportunity that sometimes gets a little bit forgotten in the publishing scheme, but it can be really wonderful. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, we're going to be talking with speculative fiction author E.J. Wenstrom. E.J. Wenstrom believes in complicated heroes, horrifying monsters, purple hair dye, and standing to the right on escalators so the left side can walk. (laughs) She writes dark speculative fiction for adults and teens, including her new release, the young adult dystopian novel Departures. So please welcome E.J. to the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. So we're going to start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? So it's a great question. And for me, there was a big difference between when I started thinking about being a writer and when I started thinking about writing fiction. So I've always loved reading yada, 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 like anyone who's kind of in this line of work. But I always saw myself more as an editor than anything else. I wasn't a a creator. But for my English major in college, I had to do an internship. And so we were out in Michigan. There were like two internships available that were in book editing. It's a miracle, frankly, that there were two. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so I, I tried for both of them, hoped for them desperately, did not get either one. And so I was furious to accept a writing internship at a lifestyle out, uh, publication. And I uh, just really went in with, frankly, the worst attitude. <laughs> <laughs> there were probably much better people to go into that position. But I, I got it. And it's lucky that I got it for my program. And I went in and, you know, I tried to do the best that I could, but it's just not what I saw myself doing or really capable of doing. And fortunately for me, the managing editor of that publication who ran the internship program had previously been a high school counselor. And so I think he was really well suited to what he was doing with this program and kind of sat me down, kind of coached me through it, talked about the anatomy of these, you know, articles and the style that they were going for with the lifestyle and kind of connected some dots for me on the creativity behind it all. And so it took me a few more shots, a few more articles, but something started to really click with it and it became so much fun. And I started to realize that I really can do it. This is something that you can do. It's pretty well suited to me. And so suddenly out of nowhere, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing with my life. But it was 2007. So there were like two journalism jobs in the country. They paid $2 each. I kind of had to uh, pivot it again and uh, went into more of a marketing public relations field. But I love that, too. So, you know, it all worked out. Yeah, it was a few years into that where uh, we were all kind of kicking things around the room. Uh, Marketing, you're very often in kind of an open office setting where uh, you're kind of open for creativity. People are always sharing ideas or what they're seeing in the news, whatever that is. And so yeah, something had just happened with NASA. Something crazy was happening in space. I don't know. Uh, someone shared some sort of news. And I said something off the cuff that I frankly do not remember. But 
the response that I got from my colleague was, that sounds like a novel. You should write it. And it was like, huh, maybe I could write it. And I did. I spent a little bit of time with it, played around with it a little bit. And having done enough reading, I kind of assessed that it was not really a novel-sized idea. But it was enough that it got me thinking about writing fiction. And so I started digging around for other ideas, started reading around in some monster encyclopedias and just exploring some things. And I came across golems and started thinking about that whole dynamic, Um, started getting kind of a voice for a character in my head and started writing Mud, which was the first book in my first series, The Chronicles of the Third Realm War, which I just finished last year. So uh, that was a a really fun ride. Uh, And then uh, the second part of that question was pursuing publication. As soon as I started to write, I also started to think more seriously about what I was going to do with this. I've never really been like a Hufflepuff type. I'm not like the type of person that has fun doing something for the fun of it. I have fun (laughs) doing something with a goal in mind. (laughs) Like I'm the person who goes on the show and then isn't like in the sidebar, like I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win. (laughs) So so as soon as I started writing seriously and I kind of gotten to the point where I was like writing every day, which was very early on, I was also starting to get to the point where I was reading a lot of the industry blogs and the craft blogs and all of that sort of stuff and in thinking seriously about where this was eventually going to be going. So I was really immersing myself in like Jane Friedman's blog, DIY MFA, uh, Mystery Writing is Murder, Fiction University, all of those sorts of things, whatever I could get my hands on, I was on it all the time, just obsessively um, trying to think about where I was going to go next and what that needed to be and all of that. It took me five years eventually to go from initial concept to uh, finally when I got to publication with my small press, City Owl Press, and they're amazing. But yeah, I, I read enough ahead and I was really grateful to have done that actually because it let me know what to expect at each step of the way. Um, sometimes I would talk to other authors and they'd be like, I just got to querying and now I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's so many resources out here. You know, here's a few that I know about. Let's let's get you started. And I think that I never had that huge question mark because I was always so obsessively reading that there was always something there to kind of say, like, this is what's happening next. And here's a huge amount of information about it. Yeah. So as soon as you started writing, you started thinking about publication, basically, as soon as you started writing. Fiction, yeah, I guess. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of answered the, what I usually ask for the next two questions already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's OK. But one of them is, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how it goes about, how query? You mentioned some of the sites that you referred to. But what was that process like for you? I think I found a lot of things through Twitter, honestly. Um, even that long ago, there was just a lot available there, probably more available there than there is now because there's so much noise now and there's so much Mm -hmm. debate and argumentation going on. I think back then it was a lot more information sharing or maybe I'm just nostalgic. I I don't know. But there's just a lot of information available. So I think Twitter was a good resource that I went to. And then also just anytime someone was guest blogging, I would check them out and and see what, where else they were and just kind of look at where those threads were and where they led. Uh, and then the closer I started to get to knowing that I wanted to be querying or that those sorts of things were coming up, I definitely started to look more seriously at getting to conferences 
and doing some of that networking started to uh, kind of just build up more author friends. And so, yeah, I did that locally. I was in Florida at the time. So as you know, Florida Writers Conference is wonderful for that. And uh, there are chapters and all of that, as is the Orlando Library. But then also here in D.C., where I am now, Bethesda Writers Center is really wonderful. There is some good conferences around here as well with um, Chesapeake Writers Workshop and then uh, Maryland Writers. I like the Writers Digest Conference as well. Uh, That's a nice one for me. Easy hop from D.C. It's a little bit smaller than some of the other ones, but yeah. Yeah, I think you're right that there is more noise now. I think, I don't know when you got started, but when I started like learning more about the industry, it was like 2010, I think. And there were a lot of blogs and a lot of people tweeting great information out there. And then I think people realized that they could like make money in it. And so like the kind of, I don't want to call them scammers, but like the people who are more interested in making money than helping writers (laughs) got involved. And now when I Google like kind of basic publishing questions, I raise my eyebrow at some of the results. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, you know, that's a really good point. You were a little ahead of me. I think for me, it was more like a few years later, but Yeah, I I feel like the first ones that were really ahead of it all and were really blogging very early on, like they they were just seeing such a great need and they had such deep expertise in this already. And they were like, look, babies, (laughs) this is what you need to know. This is all of the stuff that you were not able to access before this great Internet that everyone that like we wish everybody understood about how to go about querying how to go about the publishing industry what to expect through this whole process how to you know write your first chapter all of those sorts of things and then yeah then everyone started to realize that this was a great way to build up your platform and now it's not just those people with that deep expertise it's everyone who wants a platform (laughs) who has done it for two seconds you know, and those people might have something to say, too, to add to the conversation. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But it is harder to sort through. Yeah. And it's a huge amount of t- it's just a huge amount of content to sort through on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Mm-hmm. So, yes, once I got that first book, Mud, to the place where I felt I had nothing left that I could find wrong with it anymore. I've got it to some um, critique groups. I did for that book do a group at the um, the Bethesda Writers Center. Then, sorry, there's timelines and there's times when I moved and I'm trying to like make sure that it's all lining up. But um, but yeah, and then after that, I did. I had an awesome critique group that came out of um, my time in a course there that we met up once a month for a long time. And they were really helpful, just polishing up different sections and just keeping each other focused, cheering each other on, all of that sort of stuff. Then um, right in the middle of all of that, my husband's work took us to Florida. And so I was freelancing for a long time. And that also let me kind of choose how my time was spent a little bit more too. So that was really advantageous at a critical moment for this particular manuscript, which was amazing and very serendipitous. So I got to kind of wrap it up and then get out and query and be a little bit more focused than I usually would have been with all of that. And I sent it out all in all, I think it was about 60 or 70 different agents that that 
query went out to for that first book. And it did okay. It didn't do like not so great. You know, I mean, you get some full requests, but you get a lot of rejections too. And in the midst of all of that, where you're kind of getting to that point where you're just like, you're seeing the writing on the wall, you're not quite done yet, but you're just going to like, eh. Um, I started to discover some of the um, the Twitter pitch contests. And so I don't remember which one it was. It was probably SFF Pit, if I had to guess. But um, one of the ones that occurs over the summer, I was like, I'm going to give this thing a whirl. And I got some pitches together. I did the whole thing. And I got a couple of bites out of it, and it was kind of exciting. So, you know, you do the follow-up, and I got an offer from one of the small presses coming out of that contest um, after a month or two. And uh, so that became its own thing. It was a young, small press. They were just getting started. It was from some authors with some experience. They seemed to be thinking it through very well. I had some conversations. I did a significant amount of vetting, including reaching out to Query Shark and (laughs) Mm. doing all of that sort of stuff to make sure that I wasn't getting into something that was, you know, more predatory. Nothing was turning up that was showing any red flags. But then the other thing to consider always with the small press is, you know, even if they are well meaning, you know, can they really do what they're meaning to do, especially if they're just starting out? Because it's a rough business. It really is. But I just decided that, you know, I like the people involved here. They've all been very attentive. I had multiple conversations with um, one of the co-publishers and also the editor involved. And I liked what they were saying about my book. I liked that their plans for the publisher, they'd been very transparent with me. And I'd just rather make a mistake by trying to get something out there then by holding back and just you know trying to be some sort of like precious snowflake about my work <laughs> um i think that's maybe something that i took away from working in marketing and pr is that you know you you toss a lot of ideas out there and you just keep at it and you keep working and you know no one idea has to be the you know you can't be too precious with your ideas because there's always a next one and sometimes you fail and then you go again and you go again and you go again. So I just applied that attitude over and decided that, you know what, if this doesn't work out or if something really disastrous happens, you you write another book, which is what you're going to do anyway. So, okay. And I got so lucky because Heather McCorkle, the editor, was just so amazing and she's still so amazing. She's a wonderful friend and a wonderful mentor. She's been cheering me on and so, so helpful, even with um, my most recent book, which is not even through this publisher because they don't publish this type. They don't publish YA. And City Owl Press has been incredible and they've done very, very well for themselves. I mean, they have done everything that they set out to and more, I think, and they've just knocked it out of the park. So I feel lucky to be along for the ride with them. And they've just been wonderful. And uh, they've all been cheering me along, too, even you know, across my other books as well. So uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful group. Yeah, I've just had the best experiences with them. And my new publisher, Darkstroke, has been wonderful as well. And, you know, I just think that taking risks and not being too precious with your work is usually do your due diligence, but usually the better way to go if you're kind of on the fence 
And small press is, I think, an opportunity that sometimes gets a little bit forgotten in the publishing scheme, but it can be really wonderful. You get a little bit more freedom and you get your books out there and you can start building up some readership. Okay, it is time. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Okay, so this is the query for Departures, my most recent book. Okay, Departures, 89,000 words, is a young adult science fiction novel in which the premise of Denton Little's death date meets the dual narrative of Replica. This is an own voices manuscript for ADHD representation. After 17 short years, Evelie Anders was scheduled to depart. She said goodbye to her sister Audra, her closest friend, and accepted the inevitable. After all, the director had departures down to a science, putting citizens down painlessly before biology offered up something more painful, all part of the exacting system that kept citizens' lives in precise order. Only problem is, Evie's departure date comes and goes, and Evie's still very much alive. When the director tries to correct its mistake, Evie escapes with the help from a secret rebel group. Free of the directorate's control, she embraces a more chaotic life as she diagnoses the pain of the pending death the directorate wanted to protect her from. Along the way, Evie joins the rebels in their work with a secret mission of her own. Get Audra out of the directorate before she does something crazy, and they turn their wrath on her. My debut novel, City Owl Press, earned Florida Writers Association's top honor as Book of the Year, and I have released three more books in the series since. Through my day job, I am a content marketing and PR expert with 14 years of experience, which I bring to my book marketing as well, through social media, newsletter, and events. My speaking engagements have included Writer's Digest Conference, AwesomeCon, RT Book Lovers Convention, and Florida Writers Conference, among many others, and I'm a regular contributor to Book Riot and DIY MFA. The first three chapters and synopsis of Departures is included below. Thank you for your time and consideration. Nice. So the next question is usually, how has your experience been since signing your book contract? But you kind of answered that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I jump ahead. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> so we're going to go right into the quick round. <laughs> okay. I call it author DNA. Just a couple of classifications that we like to put writers in. Are you a panther or a plotter? Much more of a panther, although I'm learning to find ways to cheat myself into thinking ahead better. I, I do kind of that zero draft thing now. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a way to outline without outlining. Well, for those who are listening who might not know what zero draft is, do you want to real quick explain what that is? Oh, sure. So it's a way to to just kind of like write out the beats. It, it's like a super ugly, undercooked first draft. So when I do it, I do like a like I do just like the beats of each scene or like half sentences or sometimes I'll get like fragments of dialogue and stuff so I just whatever it is that I have I just throw it out onto the page and then I just keep myself moving through so I don't try to pause and fill anything out or try to make anything cohesive I just kind of spit out whatever I currently have and then roll on to the next scene do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter <laughs> uh, per the description I just gave very much an underwriter <laughs> Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Mm. You know, I've always in my life in general thought myself more of a night owl, but I don't know if it's just being an adult and having a day job or what, but definitely a morning writer. I have to write in the morning before my brain is engaged in anything else. At the end of the day, I'm just too tapped out. When it comes to writing a new story, do you typically start with a character or a plot or a concept first? 
it's getting harder for me to say one. Definitely for the first series, it was starting with character. But the more different ideas that I have, the less that is true. For Departures, it was more of like a a premise hook. I started with this concept of a girl who wakes up the day after she was supposed to die and just didn't know what was going on. And so it was more of a plot hook than anything else, I suppose. And then I had to fill out everything else from there and the dual narrative and the characters and the world was the biggest lift around why this would be a situation for someone to be in in the first place. More and more, I'm starting to find that that is where I start. So I don't I don't know why that would shift, but. <laughs> Do you prefer coffee or tea? <laughs> if I have to pick one, I'm going with coffee. Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? <laughs> Pure, utter silence. <laughs> when it comes to writing the first draft, are you more of a get it down or get it right kind of person? You kind of answer this. <laughs> get it down. Just get it down. <laughs> It's going to change later. This is what I feel took me so long in my first book. Like I said, Mud took five years to write. And what I learned was it took, I spent like two years plus writing the first draft because I spent so much time villaining out the world and trying to figure out the plot just right and all of that sort of stuff. And then I got to the end and read through what I'd written. And it was such a hot mess. It took so much time to like break it again just to put it back together. Never again. Never again. Now I just let it be a mess until I know what it needs to be. And then I put it back together that way. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? Yeah, I used to just do all Word. But for departures and what I'm writing currently, I've started using Scrivener and it's been a lifesaver. Both of these are multiple point of view projects. So I think that's a big part of why this is so cool because Scrivener lets me drag and drop segments. So it's really cool because you can just kind of write what you need to and then figure out where the like the segment breaks need to happen when you're switching back and forth between characters is a big thing. And then also for writing speculative, the world building has been really big. So just being able to file all the different pieces of the world building mm-hmm. in like this like little set aside piece of your document and then flip back to it whenever you need to has been a game changer. Because my ADHD brain does not hold on to all of that itself. It just does not. (laughs) I love that. And then I love that Scrivener lets me put two windows up right next to each other. So I can keep what I'm working on up in one side. And then I can pick up something else I need to refer to and be like, what color were her eyes again? Or what did I decide the world building rule on this was again? Or, you know, whatever it is. And then pull it up in the screen next to it right parallel. But then once I've got like the drafting phase done and I start to revise or once I get it out to betas, I switch over to Word and do the track changes and final touches and everything over in that. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Mm, Drafting. (laughs) Me too, but a lot of people say (laughs) revising and I'm just like, okay. What? I know. I I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. If I could just like get the sketch down and then have everyone else just get what I was going for, like that's my (laughs) ideal world. (laughs) Yeah. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Yeah, I think people who hop around are wizards. I (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) I have to go sequentially. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. Huge, huge introvert. 
So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We're going to talk about that second cue now. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized? Did you overcome them? How did they shake out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With departures, it was... Yeah. It was a long ride. I started querying departures in 2017. So it was not a good time to be shopping a dystopian. Mm -hmm. There were too many real world things that felt like they were in crisis during that administration. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone was reading romance. Everyone was reading fantasy. And I did over and over again hear from agents that the reason for a rejection I got was this is not selling right now. Just like, oh my God, I this is so bad. <laughs> this isn't no one's going to want this. No one's going to read this. This is the worst. I was so elated when a, an agent did finally offer rep. And then I ended up with three offers. And it was amazing. And yeah, but one of the offers I got, I'm going to go into this quickly just because this is about queries. One of the agents that offered there were some serious red flags. So this feels like a good place to talk about this. He offered really, really quickly. He actually kind of, th this is probably the most informal r, r I've ever experienced, but he just said, do you think you could get this under this word count? And I was like, probably. And so it was like a 8,000 word difference. And I managed it which, by the way, was like shockingly easy. <laughs> it was a really good lesson in word efficiency. <laughs> so that was interesting. I resubmitted it to him and got an offer the next day. Oh, wow. There's no way. So that was interesting. And then I started reading. I had already started reading up on him before that because of the situation. Query Tracker was a really good tool to get some feedback on this particular agent. So I followed up to those two individuals who had left some comments about how this person did business on Query Tracker and then did some other queries out there. Interestingly, he had a glowing referral from current clients. So that's something to know. I did not at the time think to do cold queries to other people represented or previously represented, but I would definitely recommend that for future. It's something I will definitely do in future. But this person, so I did ask him directly about these people who had left comments on Query Tracker, and he kind of blew it off and said, oh, some people just get really upset if you can't sell their work. And it's like, I mean, that's probably true. But <laughs> with other options, I decided to go another way. And this particular individual, uh, a couple of months later, ended up getting kicked out of AAR. So listen to red flags if you are seeing them, because yeah. they are probably right. And even the Whisper Network cannot always give you all of the information to connect the dots. You know, something I like to share when I can in these conversations. And then, yeah, so I did end up getting representation despite the fact that it was the wrong type of genre for the moment. And then unfortunately, we did end up getting the same sort of feedback from editors once we went out on sub a year later. Mm -hmm. uh, it was still the same kind of environment that we were in. But we did. We went out on sub. We went about 12 different editors on round one. And then um, got a lot of that sort of feedback where they liked a lot about it, but it wasn't selling right now, blah, blah, blah. It was really disheartening. It was so disheartening. Along the way, my agent was hard to reach. I think we were just having some difficulties in communication styles. You know, maybe 2020 was not the best time to be going through some of these things. 
it was rough times all around. Yeah. So I think we just weren't syncing up. And then I got some additional information from someone in my publishing circle that was extremely helpful. So definitely, I always recommend, you know, talk to people in your circle, let them know what you're what you have going on, stay in touch with them, build up relationships, know who you can trust. Ultimately, after that submission round ended, we decided that for a few different reasons, it was time for us to, as they say, amicably part ways. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like, and I'm not here to throw anyone under the bus, but I do think the it's good to talk about these things because it's not the end of the world if you just decide that this isn't the right fit for you and you want to don't stick with an agent just because they're an agent. Mm-hmm. If it's not the right fit for you, it's not going to it's not going to work for you. It's not going to get you where you need to go. And that's okay. And it's also okay if you have a work that's not in vogue at the moment. We did end up parting ways and I was left with this book that, you know, I kept rereading it, trying to figure out what was going on and like is it time to just give up on this book? It's not selling, no one wants dystopian right now. And every time I read it again, you know, I would do more revising as I went. But I was like, no, I still believe in this book. Like, I still think that there's a lot to work with here. And so I wasn't ready to give up on it yet. And so even after a year on query, a year with my agent on revision, a year on sub, (laughs) breaking up with the agent, all of this time being told that no one wants dystopian, I was still just not ready to give up on it. Mm -hmm. So I did try querying some more agents that did not pan out. I think that, you know, I kind of burned that out at this point, but I wasn't going to give up without at least trying it. And then I started looking to small press again. I got a few rejections that were extraordinarily generous in the feedback that they gave. And so I did some more revisions a few different times over. And after, I think it was about nine months of that, I finally got an offer from Darkstroke. And it came out last month. Yes. (laughs) And and I do think that it made a huge difference to start to feel, well, here we are again. But I think that for a while there, we were starting to feel like the pandemic was lifting. You know, there was a shift of administration, some of the urgency, at least, of some of the doom and gloom that's been going on so recently. And in those years, that was a real shadow on dystopian, lifted at least a little bit. I've seen a lot of other dystopian this summer. So I do think that that's been a big part of it. And I don't know, maybe I've, I've done some real leaps and bounds with the revisions. Maybe it was really awful before. I, do, I don't <laughs> know. But, but anyway, I think that persisting and not letting the, uh, the trends get you down and knowing what you need from an agent. Like there's so many different elements to this. I'm rambling a little bit and talking in circles, but I... Uh, it's, uh, you know, if you stay with it and persist, you can get yourself there. So now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? I get up at five. Shout out for oh 5 a.m. Writers Club. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> you would be so surprised how many people are doing this. It's all over Twitter. I went to bed at 4 a.m. last night. <laughs> now it's my turn. Oh, my God. <laughs> But no, I mean, I get up really early. I do it before I do anything else in the day. I do struggle to keep myself focused. So I tend to use the Freedom app a lot, which blocks out my internet. So it keeps me at least reminded that I should be focusing and doesn't let me wander too far 
onto too many other tangents on the internet. I go pretty fast through my early drafts and then I slow down a little bit and start to really get into it. I always, I was just experiencing this the other day, so this is fresh and top of my mind, but every single manuscript I've written, there is a point that I hit where I feel like this is the manuscript I will be writing until the day that I die. <laughs> like I've been writing this book forever and I will be writing it forever this book is never going to end. <laughs> and I don't know why, but you know, that's kind of the beauty of just making yourself finish. You learn these ups and downs of your creative process and you start to realize like, oh no, it's okay. We're just in this phase of the process now. It'll pass. And you can just learn that you will in fact write this out. Yeah. I had an interview on Edit Your Darlings recently. And that was one of the things I talked about is my, whenever I get an edit letter, I go through this process where I'm like, I hate this edit letter. I think it's wrong. (laughs) And then I like start working on it. I'm like, okay, I can see that. I can see that. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my editor is a genius. And it happens every (laughs) single time. But I'm at the point now where I recognize that it's happening. And I'm just like, okay, Sarah, calm down, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. Right. Let yourself feel it. Write it out. You know that you're going to come around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. When you were in the lowest parts of your writing journey, your publishing journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? This is such a good question. The bottom line of this all is that I'm doing the writing for myself. Um, There's something about just the... uh, the fun of the writing and the the creative satisfaction of it that balances out the other stresses in my life. I mean, like we all have those days in our day jobs where it's just stressful or something gets you down or, you know, whatever it is. And so just having multiple different projects that are fulfilling different parts of me helps me balance all of that out. And so there's never a time for me when like, if one thing gets me down, that it's like it, it never feels like it's all of me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, because I always have the other thing. Having that sort of check and balance to to my efforts and the satisfaction of the uh, creative fulfillment helps a lot, I think, as much as I was saying earlier, like I'm here to win. <laughs> that, yeah. that <laughs> and then I think, too, that even when it's frustrating or you feel like you're not getting somewhere as fast as you want to be, there's that rational understanding that publishing is always so slow. But once you've gone through it a few times, you know that you will get there eventually, even if it's not on the timetable you wanted. (laughs) So, (laughs) and also it's never going to be on the timetable you wanted. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. (laughs) Like, Like, if it's not on the timetable you wanted, then everything's right on schedule. It's okay. And so, yeah, I just try to remind myself of all of that. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel like you made along the way to publication that you'd like to tell listeners about? Mm, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think there's two times where I spent too much time investing in something. The first one was on that first book when I spent way too much time on that first draft. Uh, So I've touched on that already, but definitely I I wish I'd spent less time trying to perfect the first draft before I went back and revised and 
really understood what the project was because you can't understand the project until the first draft is done. That's that's what I learned from that. And then the second time I think I spent way too much time on one thing was with my agent, frankly, because it was two years in which really nothing got accomplished. And I think maybe it was just a matter of bad timing or something got lost in communication or something, but it wasn't syncing up. And I knew that, but there was something in me that kept questioning why, or it was, I I was too hesitant about, you know, trying to break off the relationship because I had an agent. I'd worked so hard to get an agent. And now here we were, you know, maybe he wasn't answering my emails for months, or maybe he wasn't answering my questions, but I had an agent. And so, (laughs) and we were about to go on sub or, you know, I wish that I had not spent so much time before realizing that was the decision that needed to be made because I could have moved on a lot sooner, but live and learn. Yeah. Speaking of learning, can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? I think the most important thing is to get a lot of feedback on your work and to keep getting feedback on your work. Just keep revising both your current work and your next work. Just keep growing your your craft. I call this the acknowledgments portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So many, so many. I was actually just earlier today writing down some of this for this particular book. There's so many people and there's organizations like Florida Writers Association. I call some of these out earlier, uh, Bethesda Writers Center, definitely various different writers critique groups. There's a lot of different authors that I've been close with and we all cheer each other on um, through different groups including both of my small presses have really wonderful authors communities that they organize for us so that we can all connect and support each other. Definitely um, my editor, Heather McCorkle, City Owl Press, Dark Stroke Press. Yeah, some of the places that I've written for have been really great too. Uh, Just not my fiction, but about publishing or all of that. I would definitely say, you know, Gabriella Pereira at DIY MFA. I started writing for her years ago before I had any books out. And it's been wonderful to have someone like that along the way in the journey. She's been delightful. God, this is terrifying. <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting people who I it's should okay. be calling They probably out, don't but... listen. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. We'll say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Departures came out on August 10th. Is that right? That's correct. And we know quite a bit about about it from your query letter, but is there anything else you want to share about the book? I would just say it was called out briefly in the query letter that there is ADHD representation in it. So I have ADHD. It's something I've started thinking about more in my writing because you just don't see much of it other than in like uh, the Percy Jackson series is the one place that I've thought of where you really see positive ADHD characters uh, that aren't like books to help children understand their diagnosis. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's like, huh, Maybe that's something I, I should do. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's just something that means something personally to me. And I hope it means something to other people. I think they make for interesting characters. You know, it tends to be a group of people that are creative and charismatic and impulsive, which can lead to good, juicy problems in a book. 
but also can kind of MacGyver their way back out of those problems in interesting ways. And I think that, you know, fiction is a really great place to represent some of that sort of neurodiversity because it lets us showcase both the strengths and the weaknesses. And I think you don't hear a lot about the strengths, but there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So representation. Yeah. And since we are both in our podcasting closets, (laughs) I want to ask you to tell listeners about your podcast. Oh, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Actually, we're doing a little bit of a pivot right now. So I podcast with uh, another author, Emma C. Wells, who is a delight. We have been podcasting, uh, we call it Fantasy Girls, and that one is focused on speculative fiction across all channels. So we do books, but we also do movies, we do TV, all sorts of stuff. We just like to geek out through kind of a feminist lens, but we just kind of have fun with it. We have some plotting underway, Mm. so this might be the first that we're announcing it. So... (laughs) I will apologize to Emma if I am jumping the gun, but I don't think I am. But we're we're kind of broadening our scope a little bit. She writes some really awesome thrillery type of stuff. So we started talking about how we can encompass more of that as well. And so we're starting something that will kind of rotate between all of the, the core genres of speculative, mystery, thriller, and romance. And we're calling it Troped Out. Oh, cool. And that will be releasing into the fall. Breaking news. Query qualms and quirks exclusive announcement here. (laughs) (laughs) Got it here first. All right, EJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks so much, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of EJ's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser tell your friends or share this episode on social media. And if you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. If you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.